Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. KCAA Loma Linda. 1050 AM. 106.5 FM. And now 102.3 FM. White House update, New York death. I'm Ann Cates. President Trump has been tested for the coronavirus but hasn't gotten the results back yet. The president also says a full-scale effort continues to battle the outbreak. We're using the full power of the federal government to defeat the virus, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, Last week, we secured an initial $8.3 billion from Congress for the coronavirus, and that was uh, quickly done and very efficiently done. I want to thank all members of Congress. New York has had its first coronavirus death. Correspondent Shimon Prokopesh. The governor in a conference call announcing that New York State is seeing its first death. That that is a 82-year-old woman uh, who had underlying conditions, emphysema, uh, and sadly, as a result of the coronavirus, given her pre-existing condition, uh, she has died. There are more than 2,300 coronavirus cases in the U.S. I'm Ann Cates. The House has approved a bipartisan coronavirus relief measure. The bill provides free testing for the coronavirus, two weeks of paid leave, expanded unemployment benefits, and more. Texas Republican Kevin Brady called the bill a big step toward America's rebound from the coronavirus pandemic. While today's bill is not perfect, it is another step in the right direction towards safety and security and a revitalized economy. The bill now goes to the Senate, which is expected to take it up as soon as Monday. Linda Kenyon, Washington. The European travel ban has been expanded to include the U.K. and Ireland. Vice President Mike Pence. Americans in the U.K. or Ireland can come home. Legal residents can come home, but as the secretary will detail, uh, they will be funneled through specific airports and process. Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian and other major cruise lines have also agreed to halt outgoing trips for 30 days. I'm Ann Cates. It's time to shop in the cool, relaxed comfort of the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, conveniently located on the I-10 freeway between the Alabama and Tennessee exits. Bring the kids, too, and watch them play in the only indoor fun center, High Five Indoor Playground, where parents are welcomed on the playground. Birthday celebrations are encouraged, so make plans for some great fun at the mall. More reasons why the Tri-City Center is called the Mall with a Heart. Wall Street bankers have such fun. 
I don't mean merely at their year-end bonus bashes, when each one rakes in more dollar bills than a tall tree has leaves, but year-round. For example, one group of scamps are paid to invent crazy investment packages that go bang after unsuspecting suckers, otherwise known as customers, buy them. Called CDOs, Collateralized Debt Obligations, such packages were the nuclear whoopee cushions that in 2007 crashed the housing market and our entire economy. Yet not a single one of these financial rascals was held accountable by federal authorities. So we commoners have not even been told about the details of the destructive inside jokes they were playing on us. However, a lawsuit filed against Morgan Stanley by a Taiwanese bank has now laid bare one of these prank investment packages titled Stack. This $500 million CDO was literally stacked against those who bought it, including the Taiwan Bank, because Morgan's fun-loving packagers deliberately filled it with bad housing loans. Here's the punchline. Morgan Stanley secretly put down a $170 million bet that the load of investment garbage it put in stack would cause the CDO to fail, which it did. In short, these Wall Street jesters created stack so Morgan Stanley could bet against it and cash in, even as the bank peddled it around the world as a safe and sound investment. The lawsuit unleashed an especially fun set of exchanges among the bankers over what to name their mischievous CDO. Hitman, suggested one. Nuclear Holocaust, offered another. But the most telling title idea was a bag of excrement. This is Jim Hightower saying, of course, they are the real bags of excrement. Yet by refusing to prosecute them, the government has winked at their hilarity, allowing them to keep doing their slapstick CDO routines. To get more of Jim Hightower's populist take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to, visit www.hightowerlowdown.org. Do you have a debt problem? Are you being sued for an unpaid debt? Is your paycheck being garnished or your bank account emptied out? Do you feel like you're running out of options? The Fulman Firm is your friendly local law firm next door and has helped thousands of people just like you. Give us a call at 833-FULMAN and see if we can help you too. It's a free confidential consultation. You have nothing to lose. For debts above $7,000, give us a call at 833-FULMAN or check out FulmanFirm.com. That's 833-F-U-L-L-M-A-N. The Fulman Firm. Let our lawyers get you on the path to financial freedom. The proceeding is not intended as a guarantee or estimate of the outcome of your case. Every case is unique and past results are not indicators of the success of your case. Take control of your financial future and call 833-FULMAN or visit FULMANFIRM.COM now. Men, it's time to stay sharp. Now or any time is the time to stay sharp. Have a holiday or a special event coming up. Maybe you just want to look good for that special someone. If staying sharp is important to you, then look good with the all-new Stay Sharp Barber Shop in Redlands. Get a precision blade cut or barber trim from the master barbers at Stay Sharp. It's clean, convenient, and cool. Watch sports on one of the many big screen TVs. Kick back with an adult beverage and a warm towel afterwards. Tapers, crop tops, gentlemen's cuts. Fauxhawks, skin fades, comb-overs, hot towel shaves, and hair design. Gentlemen, treat yourself to the special service at Stay Sharp. Walk-ins are welcome. 
Stay Sharp Barbershop at the Tri-City Center, just off Interstate 10 and the 215 between Alabama and Tennessee on the south side of the freeway. Call 909-272-2931. That's 909-272-2931 and stay sharp. The following program on KCAA is pre-recorded. Heard FM. Now tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Hello, hello, welcome back once again to DM Radio. What is going on in the world today, folks? What is not going on in the world of information? Goodness gracious, we're in a whole new age, and the topic for today is all about policy and designing policy. It's a pretty challenging scenario out there for data managers, for businesses, for large companies, even for small companies, certainly for government. And, folks, I'm very excited to have an all-star cast for you today. We're going to hear from my good buddy, Richard Kirby, a 27-year veteran of the United Nations. He's actually also the co-host of our new show, World Matters. On Thursdays at 1 Eastern, typically we record shows talking all about what's happening around the world on the global stage. And data is the top order of business for many countries, folks, as you might imagine. I'm actually on the road today myself in New York City, the uh, home of the United Nations. And we're going to be talking about how organizations can better design policies and deal with this just massive influx, not just of data, but of rules and regulations. Of course, GDPR is a very, very serious regulation out there, the, the General Data Protection Regulation, which is causing lots of consternation for big companies like Google and Facebook. I can tell you that. I almost think sometimes that those uh, regulations were designed specifically to address companies like Google and Facebook. But in general, it just requires that organizations be much more careful about how they use data, how they collect data, how they process data, what they're going to use it for. So the general idea is to be more respectful of end users and the people out there in the field to make sure that uh, companies do not abuse the data that they have. And there's also this curious right to be forgotten, which quite frankly is uh, more or less unachievable. But it's still out there, and I also refer to what I call the right to be respected. So right to be respected basically means I, as a consumer, as a user of products and services for various companies, I want you, big ABC Corporation, to respect my rights, to respect my privacy, to respect who I am as a person, and to take that job very, very seriously. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We've got Rohit Mahajan from I.O. Tahoe, Dan Wu of Anuta, and my buddy Richard Kirby of Richard Kirby Consulting, I believe the official title is. So let's go around the room and get um, some comments from our guests in the opening segment here, and then we'll dive into segment two with more detail in segment three. But first, I'll open up to Rohit Mahajan from I.O. Tahoe. Tell us a bit about your organization and how you guys are dealing with issues like compliance, how you facilitate compliance with topics like GDPR. Absolutely. Good afternoon, Eric, and, and thank you for having me again. So we at I.O. Tahoe, we believe our founding philosophy is that data is the biggest asset that we have as an organization, and we got to ensure that that asset stays as an asset and does not become a liability. So what do I mean by that? Uh, data, as we all know, 
uh, is growing at an astronomical rate. Uh, it is becoming the biggest asset from data scientists to data engineers to the legal compliance. Uh, but at the same time, we need to govern the data through the right policies. That's the key. And we have to make every effort so that it does not become a liability to us. And having the right governance uh, drives that message. So the governance, yeah. our founding philosophy is that it has to be pretty lightweight. It has to be automated. And in this day and age of machine learning and AI, we can leverage that to for the data to self-govern it um, as opposed to implementing pretty heavyweight processes. So what we do at IOTAHO is actually we do the data discovery uh, the best. And by going through the data assets from structured, semi-structured, unstructured, uh, and calling out the sensitivity of the data, the lineage of the data, the relationships of the data. Now, uh, having after having all of that insight, we then implement a search capability, which is where the governance comes in, and we let the end users govern the data. So when I say end users, it's really from a data science, uh, the data engineers, uh, the legal compliance, the CTOs, the CDOs, they can leverage the platform actually to govern the data to get more insight. Where is the data coming from? When was it last accessed? Is this data entity my most used entity, and i got to be mindful of this? And what we have in IOTAHO is, uh, in a matter of hours, you could be a bank, you could be a retail organization, you could be a satellite provider, uh, you could be health uh, or, or medical um, uh, providers. In a matter of hours, we can actually install the platform and run through your data assets and come out with a report of the governance, which includes the sensitive data, if you are compliant to GDPR, on uh, the CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, HIPAA, as well as other uh, policies. We do come in with, uh, with a uh, out-of-the-box 100-plus policies to make you compliant, and it's pretty easy in the platform for the end users of any, any uh, tech as well as non-tech departments to go in and to define the policies. So that's our, that's our key offering, the discovery, to inspecting your data and then implementing search on top and making sure that your data stays quite highly governed in an automated manner. And last time in the last show, Eric, you had me on, I was calling data as a currency. I'm starting to call data as a almost a, the biggest asset, which is the air, if I was to use that analogy. And governance is really keeping that air extremely clean. Uh, it has to be lightweight, automated. Sure. Well, and so what you're talking about is very interesting. You're talking about being able to take a situation with a, a really diverse data landscape. You're talking about banks, I mean, goodness gracious, the amount of information systems that they have, the complexity of those systems is really quite remarkable. And so you're able to, to facilitate in the discovery side to identify where there is sensitive data and then be able to apply some policies around that. Is that right? That is that is absolutely correct. So I we can Iotaho would be able to uh, would be able to take your AS four hundred, the Oracles, the Sybases, the Mongos, the Cassandras, and PDF documents, the share drives, and in a matter of hours come back with the discovery stating if you are compliant, 
to GDPR, CCPA, to in to out of the box policies, as well as giving the end user the power to define those policy uh, in matter of minutes if there is something specific to your particular organization, which is pretty powerful when it comes to this day and age of, of policy as well as the compliance. And that's where the lightweight philosophy comes in. It has to be pretty lightweight. We cannot spend weeks and months defining those policies. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And then implementing it, given the fast, uh, given the, fa- the fast pace. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. It's actually a good segue to my buddy Richard Kirby who is an independent consultant these days, but a 27-year veteran of the U.N., and he's gotten me to fly around the world and talk about things like policy, like defining policies. And, Richard, from your experience, I'm guessing what you heard right there would be music to the ears of any number of, of government agencies around the world, right, to be able to deploy a software application and in a relatively short period of time identify whether or not you're in compliance and possibly give you some some uh, leads as to how to track that down. That sounds pretty good to me, Richard. What do you think? Thank you, Eric. I agree with you on that point as well. Uh, but I want to just take you back one step uh, backwards a little bit, is, is that the role of, of culture plays a very important role in terms of what is confidential, what is not confidential in terms of data. And we've seen it, at least I have seen it, I mean, I've been over 80 to 100 countries working at the UN as a consultant myself, is that what is uh, you know, confidential for one country is not confidential for another country. And we always, always assume that the European or U.S.-led uh, openness is the right way to go. But I've been in countries where uh, your mother's middle name is confidential, and you don't want that information to be left out. I've been in countries where your salary is confidential, where you live is confidential. So the issue of culture and leadership in terms of how to use data is important. I think once the data is available, then we have open platforms to use it quite often. But the key thing is, how do we get that data available to everyone to use, and what kind of data is available, and also the quality of the data. In many developing countries, the data quality is quite poor. There are gaps available and missing years sometimes, or just months. But that makes it very difficult to find the right trend in terms of using data properly. I do agree that data is the new, let's say, the new oil, the new power tool, whatever word you want to use. But having quality data is important. And I think we take that for granted living in, in European countries, in the U.S. and Canada, and a number of Asian countries. But in developing countries, that quality data is very poor. So how do we take advantage of that and try to make that data more readily available and also uh, to be actually effective? Uh, and that's one of the big points that we're going to deal now in the U.S. and uh, other countries as well. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And culture is so important in any organization, right? So you have cultures and countries, and you have cultures and organizations, and there is a, a pretty strong analogy to be drawn between those two things. And so I think that's where you're coming into the conversation with this leadership concept, right? The leadership of the, com- the company or the country is so important in terms of instilling what the values are, demonstrating 
how those values should be aligned with policy, and then overseeing how that policy gets implemented, right? Those are all critical components in the chain, which, when connected, can result in a good, sound environment for privacy, for respect, and so forth, right, Richard? Yeah, I think effective leadership is the key here. So in terms of are you engaging your, your team, are you engaging other uh, individuals in government to get more involved, uh, you just cannot make a decision by yourself. I think engaging people is important. Uh, having accurate information is important. Openness is the key. I mean, how open are you to these things? Are you open to see, uh, open up the, the wall to all your data as opposed to just limited amount of data? So leadership is important. And we see countries that are very open, whether you are uh, democratic countries or not. I mean, just because you're not democratic does not mean you're not open. So that's the key as well. How open are you to listening to people, to use the knowledge, and to actually implement that knowledge? And we see that a number of developing countries are actually using data to the fullest. Uh, I look at countries like Rwanda, who's very big on data. Uh, Estonia is also big on data. So a lot of the smaller countries have the advantage of not having legacy systems in place and actually starting from scratch in some cases and developing excellent data sources that can be used in the future. Yeah, and it's really important to have transparency around all of that, right? And I think consistency is really the key, right? If you have policies that are only enforced sometimes and not all the time, I mean, that's just basically asking for trouble, right? I mean, if, if you don't universally enforce policies, they're not really policies at all, are they? Well, I think that's the key. And, and this is why we, when we spoke to other shows about blockchain technology, is that you have to be very careful with blockchain technology if you're a government that wants to hide data. Because once you lock in that data, you can't change it anymore, especially in terms of land registries. And I think my own country of Haiti, in the past, uh, the same plot of land was, was sold by the government to eight or nine different individuals. And then who actually owns the land is a problem. But if you have, if you have a blockchain in place out there, only one person can actually own the land. So that's the issue of data as well. So, you know, I, mean, I don't want to use the word corruption, but bad government leads to bad decision-making as well. Yeah, and that's actually a perfect segue. You must have been reading my mind, Richard, to bring in our, our final guest for the opening segment here. Dan Wu is calling in from Immuta, like Immutable, right? So Immuta on um, blockchain obviously is one really compelling technology these days. And you guys at Immuta, you've got sort of a data science platform that is designed to deal with sensitive data, right? Can you tell us a bit about that and a bit about your take on the importance of good policy? Absolutely. Well, first off, very excited to be here, and I love the show. Uh, just to reintroduce myself, I'm Dan Wu, Privacy Counsel and Legal Engineer at Amuda. Um, Amuda, as you mentioned, is a data management and governance platform for data science. Essentially, what we do is help people share data safely for compliant and ethical data analytics. So to answer your question, um, the classic use case for our startup is Let's say you're a health tech startup and you have lots of really sensitive um, biometric data at hand, but your own data governance lawyers, compliance officers are blocking you from sharing it across your company for data analytics because of HIPAA and you know underlying concerns around losing public trust if it's misused. If you use our platform, your data governor can directly go in and write and execute a policy without code to comply with things like HIPAA and apply that to all of your data sets in real time. So your data scientist then will only see the data that they're supposed to see at all times. And what makes that really important is that no longer 
Is there so, are there more delays between governance and IT due to back and forth? Um, if you have different databases having to apply this across each database, uh, we're really streamlining safe and um, ethical data, data science. Um, and just one quick note on us, uh, we came out of work with uh, the government actually, the cyber experts. Um, we've already been living in a world where most data is regulated in the past few years and with major banks and health tech companies. Um, an additional point about why this is all important, um, beyond regulatory fines like 2 to 4% of annual global revenue as you see in GDPR, what we saw with Cambridge Analytica is that you can actually lose your public's trust if you mishandle data. Gartner came out with an interesting report that says 50% of business ethics violations will actually come from data. Um, we're entering a new world where companies can really mess up badly and find themselves in front of the Senate if they're not careful. So with that in mind, um, we've been thinking a lot about core ethical data principles for data policy. And this is abstracted simply from how do you become compliant with data? There's always going to be new data regulations that come to the forefront from different countries. If we can start taking a step back and think about what are the principles, like what are the what are people starting to care about? You can stay one step ahead and stop playing um, a game of catch up. And so those four principles on a high level are understanding your data, controlling your data, monitoring your data, and providing customer benefits while protecting their data. Um, so I'm happy to go further into this framework if you'd like. Um, but for those interested, I actually presented recently on a similar topic with the co-chair of Wilmer Hill's privacy practice, which is accessible at tiny.cc slash webinar, all lowercase. Yeah, okay, we've got just 60 seconds to break, so we will dive into them in the second segment. But there's a lot to, to digest in what you just shared with us there, um, because you're talking about, of course, being able to, again, see what you have and then manage what you have. And what I've noticed is that, to your point, Dan, and I think it's an excellent point, if you don't have that kind of technology, the back and forth between legal departments and compliance departments and IT and data departments, and I can tell you what's going to happen, nothing. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Because people aren't going to get their data. And you and I were joking about this before the show. We'll pick this up after the break. We're talking to several great experts today from Iho, Tahoe, and Utah. And, of course, our good buddy, Richard Kirby. We'll talk to you in just a couple minutes. Don't touch that dial. You are listening to DM Radio. Ask yourself, if you built a van for your business, where would you start? At the beginning, of course, with the people who invented the work van over 100 years ago, Mercedes-Benz. You'd give your new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter advanced technology and safety to keep you connected and protected. You'd make it available in diesel and gas, and there would be thousands of configurations and upfits to choose from. you build it right here in the USA because your one-of-a-kind business deserves nothing less than a van that's built for you. Introducing the all-new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, the safest, most innovative Sprinter yet, starting at just 33790 Built for you, the all-new Sprinter, built in the USA. Mercedes-Benz, vans, born to run. MSRP excludes all options, taxes, title, registration, transportation, charge, and dealer prep fee. Options, model availability, and actual dealer price may vary. See dealer for details about costs and terms. Equipment described as optional. 2019 Mercedes-Benz printer available soon. 
Here is today's Saab Automotive Tech story. I'm Nick Miles. After Ford and Volkswagen, two of the world's largest automakers, revealed a new agreement. What do we know? They will be seen to collaborate building commercial vans and pickup trucks, along with batteries at Ford's factory in Michigan. Both firms also made vague references to future collaboration on electric and autonomous vehicles. They agreed to investigate electric vehicles, EVs, and autonomous vehicles in the future. For more cool car tech, visit testmiles.com. Out here on the trail, the difference between a good time and a great time usually comes down to how dirty your Tacoma gets. So put that multi-terrain select to good use. Track down some nasty stuff and dive right in. Learn more at toyota.com slash testmiles. You're listening to Global American Broadcasting, the Gab Radio Network. For more info on our programs and services, including technical operations and syndication, please visit gabradionetwork.com. An Arkansas teenager made headlines after working and saving his money for two years to buy a friend of his an electric wheelchair. Despite what you've been led to believe, I think this is more the norm than the exception when it comes to our up-and-coming generations. I'll tell you my experience next on Dan's Life. There is no better way to make a more comfortable home for the new year than a visit to the semi-annual white sale going on now at thecompanystore.com. From our famous lacrosse down comforters and pillows to the finest quality sheets, towels, bedding basics, and home decor, you'll find everything you need to stay warm in winter and then start spring with style. Receive 20% off your entire order and get free shipping when you enter the code RADIO19 at checkout. Thecompanystore.com. We're all about comfort. The harsh criticism by older generations for the ones coming after it are nothing new. Millennials are perhaps the most maligned of them all, with the flower children a close second as they were doubted by the greatest generation. But I had the privilege of chaperoning a group of sixth graders recently on a camping trip, and I'm pleased to report to you that we may just be succeeded by a better group of soon-to-be adults than we thought. These kids are brilliant, funny, capable, inclusive, deep, and caring, and they're perceptive. True, they may be softer than other generations, but the love of hard work is often a lesson learned later when you grow up in an environment as cozy as each successive generation of Americans has. These youngsters may feel a bit too much, but such is youth when passion supersedes logic and knowledge. It's very easy for us as we grow older to forget how ignorant we were of what it takes to make it in the world. It's easy to think that kids after us just don't get it because as we get further and further away from our youth, we tend to mistakenly believe that we've had it all figured out much longer than we really have, and that we learned which way the wind blows earlier than we really did. These kids will be up to the challenge, I do believe. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back once again to DM Radio. I got my equipment working now, so I'm not using the cell phone, which is always nice to get the, the gear rocking and rolling. A metaphor, perhaps, for our show today. And what interesting comments we had from our guests in the opening segment. And, you know, I'll bring Rohit back in here to start off our second segment. I feel like we're in such an interesting and fascinating period right now of technology with respect to data and also systems in the ability that we now have to scan these incredibly large and complex environments and then pull back useful information about the kind of data, the shape of data, 
who accesses the data. And then to be able to, as Dan Wu was mentioning in that last segment, to define policies and have that baked into the access platform, well, that's what you need. Now you've solved the problem. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Because again, if you, if you rely on, on legal, talking to compliance, back and forth on email, I mean, forget that. It's like, look at... Look at what Slack did for corporate communication, and I, I don't use it too much, honestly, but I should. And, and that's kind of what we need in the world of data management and data policy, right, Rohit? We need some new mechanism, and you guys are talking about what you're offering right now, to be able to handle these problems at the scale necessary. What do you think, Rohit? You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree anymore. It's, the data is growing and it's getting more and more complex. We cannot move the data from point A to point B just to do the policy analysis and compliance. So we've got to leave the data where it is at the source, and it could be, again, from very, very highly disparate sources, uh, again, from structured, semi-structured, and completely unstructured, which is where tons of legal compliance PDFs and documents are. Uh, that's what we have to be able to discover in a pretty automated self-governing manner and not bringing ultra-heavyweight processes because we want people to be embracing this governance. And that can be done by a pretty easy policy creation uh, and maintenance. And that's what that's what IOTAHO as a platform does pretty well from discovery uh, perspective as well as from search perspective and keeping the governance pretty, uh, pretty lightweight and automated. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's important stuff, and I guess maybe I'll bring Dan Wu back in too. You know, when you talk about being able to apply policies to the information landscape, can you go into a bit more detail, maybe about how you're able to do that? I'm guessing what happens is the system is able to identify this Oracle database, maybe that Hadoop cluster, for example, whatever the sources of data are, and then you got. I'm guessing you're using some kind of metadata management capability to sense which kinds of data are in which systems, things like social security numbers, things like healthcare, et cetera, healthcare data. Can you talk a bit more about how that actually gets done? Absolutely. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts as you're pointing to, but the first part is that you need that data tagged. It needs to be classified. And so we have an inbuilt metadata management catalog that allows you, for instance, to tag whether this data is that sensitive biometric data that I discovered uh, that I mentioned before. But we also integrate with a variety of tools such as Colibra and Big ID, which help with um, discovering data sets and tagging data sets. Uh, the second is that we have a what we call a data control layer, and it uses uh, data unification technology that connects to all data sources that you pointed to. So let's say you have data on the cloud. Uh, on an AWS uh, cloud environment or on-prem, um, all these different databases can be connected to Amuda's uh, data control platform. Um, and what we like to say is that we've never come across a data 
hyperplat uh, database that we haven't been able to integrate with. And then lastly, we have uh, query time policies, policy enforcement. So we edit uh, queries that are being placed to access the data, and in real time we edit those queries to look at what are the authorizations in place for the person that's querying the data, um, what are the protections in place. So for instance, for that biometric data, maybe you want to say that you can't access real-level data, only aggregate-level data because of the nature of its because of how sensitive it is, it'll integrate that information, edit the query, and make sure that um, the person who's requesting the data, such as the data scientist, only sees the data that they're supposed to. One additional benefit of our you know, data control layer is that we, we are the layer through which all data queries must go through. So what that's really great for is one of the principles of ethical data science that I hinted at, which is monitoring data. In real time, we can see all data flows, what data is being requested, and thereby creating a, a way for your data governor, for your lawyer, to click a few buttons and create a report, an auditing report, to say, hey, this is this is this really sensitive biometric data. Here's how it's, it was being used in the last two months, and for what purposes. And this is this is something that they can create without, again, having to coordinate with IT. And I highlight monitoring because according to a recent survey done by in, in the EU, guess which, guess which aspect of data, um, data protection is the weakest? It's the accountability principle. Your ability to monitor your data, to audit your data, that's, that's what they discovered that most companies were having a really difficult time implementing. And with an architecture like ours, where we have a data control layer and we monitor all data um, access and flows in real time, we make that really easy. Hmm. Yeah, this is all important stuff, Richard. I guess I'll bring you back in to kind of unwind some of that stuff. I mean, if you talk, talk about governments and government data, well, to your point, depending upon the culture, there are any number of data sets that could be sensitive or not sensitive. And what I like about what our other guests are sharing here is the ability to scan these very complex topographies of data to understand what you have. Because I promise you this, large companies or countries like the United States, there are so many legacy systems out there. There are very few people, if any, who know all of them. And I guarantee you there's stuff lurking in every dark corner of every congressional building. <laughs> but what do you think? No, I agree with you on that point there. But, I mean, I'm glad to see that uh, the interoperability of data is actually working very well through these different uh, platforms, which we mentioned before by our speakers. Uh, I think one of the issues that I've come about is that the lack of trust there is between uh, government and the private sector, at least in the, the non-European uh, and U.S. environment, is that uh, because they they rely so much on international companies that local companies cannot really get involved in data management. So, as a result of that, there's a lack of trust that exists somewhere. And this is why some countries are afraid of going to the cloud, but they don't have control. They want to manage their own conference, uh, their data centers, uh, have it in their own countries, in their own backyard, and so forth. So one issue is trust. And I'm, I'm just trying to find out from the other two, how do you build that trust between companies uh, and government in terms of sharing data, uh, making sure data is available to all people? That's one question. Uh, the second question, and, and I'm sorry to ask questions, but it's very interesting to me, is that 
how you look at the security level of it, because, I mean, everyone's trying to hack data, and we see every almost on a daily basis someone's getting hacked left and right, and, and data's being abused, data's being this and data's being that. So how does what, what's available today that really can make it foolproof? I know it cannot be foolproof, but at least it's close to possible to be foolproof. Yeah, let's throw that over maybe to Rohit to comment on. Rohit, are you there? Eric, so, yes, I mean, it, yes, I am. Sorry. So, oh, go ahead. The, the trust is a, actually, Richard, my colleague Richard is absolutely right. Uh, he, the, the trust is the big challenge and bringing the complex systems together. And that's what, that's what we need automation. And that's what Tahoe, IO Tahoe is bringing to the, to the table. Think of a scenario. You are having this complex uh, disparate sources. We have folks, regulators, GDPR and CCPA and HIPAA and others uh, coming in, challenging the data stewards, the data owners, the tech owners, the business owners on the compliance. And how do they trust it? Now, the best solutions are generally, which are automated, they're coming in, they're self-governing, and, and the ability in matter of hours to actually be able to discover and set the right policy and discover that data. Uh, no mm -hmm. matter where you're off, yeah, on-prem cloud, in PDFs, <laughs> uh, and that's what Tahoe is really helping solve the problem by bringing the self-governing automated trust, users input, and then relearning from that and continuing mm -hmm. to build this, this trust across the, across the organization. Mm -hmm. Let me just add one more point. That a, lot of, a lot of these uh, developing countries uh, only look at the big companies, the Oracles, the IBMs, uh, as, as their major, um, uh, you know, uh, user of, of their technology. How does a company like yourself, which is not an IBM or an Oracle or any, or any of the big major ones, compete to that level? How do you make sure that a country like uh, Saudi Arabia or UAE or Kazakhstan can look at you and say, okay, yeah, they're on the same level, or these guys are even better? I think that's one of the big problems I see when I when I visit different countries that. There are a lot of legacy products out there and, and, and platforms that they're tied into, and they can't get out of it. And, and that's a big problem for a lot of countries. How do you guys take a look at that? That's a, that's a very valid point, Richard. And uh, every growing organization goes through that challenge. You're absolutely right. There's legacy products out there. And the way we are coming overcoming that challenge, actually, we have ensured that the automation is built in and the usability of the product is pretty lightweight, and it scales without bringing in extreme heavy legacy platform type processes. And if I can come into an organization, I can implement a platform like IOTAHO and get you in a matter of days, your 25 different data sources, which are sitting on cloud, which are in AS400, as well as they're sitting in Oracle, and I can tell you, classify the data based on the policies, and I can let the organization define the policies they want to customize it in a matter of days. Now, that, to me, is a pretty big dent uh, in the ability to move things fast. Uh, that's a challenge. It's been challenged for decades, <laughs> centuries, uh, to overcome some of the legacy products. But if a product or a platform is differentiated enough, and the general rule is 10x, which we are, uh, we can keep plowing forward. 
it's a challenge to go out there. Yeah, well, that's why we have shows like DM Radio, so that uh, companies like this and countries like that can figure out what you guys are doing. And maybe, Dan, I'll throw it over to you for some commentary as well, because obviously you're not a huge company. But you know, the bottom line is that the big vendors tend to move very slowly, and then what do they do? They just acquire companies, right? But even after they acquire a company, you have to integrate that company. You have to integrate the personnel. You have to integrate the technology. There's always going to be some resistance on the acquirer's side within the organization, especially if there was overlap with what was already in place. Can you talk about that challenge and why it is that the smaller vendors are actually the more agile ones and really should be looked to for solutions like this? Absolutely. I, I love this question um, because it's something that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, because we work with a lot of big companies, we work with not only startups but big enterprise companies. And the, the point that was brought up about legacy platforms is critical because not only is it a technological issue, it's a cultural issue. The cultural issue mm -hmm. also because of what we had discussed before. It's not just IT's problem, it's also the data business owner, and it's also the governance risk and compliance. And when you put all of these different functions together, who speak different languages, who have different priorities, <laughs> it's, it's not an easy, it's not something easy to help solve. And so there, there are two thoughts that I have on this. The first is that when we go into a large company and we realize that we have legacy platform, it's really important for us to understand what their life is like. And what I mean by that, I'll give one example. We were working with a very large multinational corporation that is dealing with this exact problem. They really, one, of, one of their stakeholders really loves what we're doing. They're our internal champion. But we're in the process of getting buy-in with their lawyers, with their IT personnel. And initially, in one of our initial presentations, you know, we, we presented something on a high level. There was some interest, but it wasn't as much as what we were hoping for. And when we put our heads together that night for the second day of our presentation, we were really, really careful to think about what is it that these lawyers and IT people care about the most? Like, what's, what's really difficult about their existing mm -hmm. workflow? And how do we how do we frame what we do to make sure to make sure yeah, that we make their life easier? And we oh, go ahead. Um, so I'll, I'll just I'll just close up the story. Um, but essentially, when we started framing in that sense, and we started showing, hey, this is, we understand your world. This is how we can improve your world, and made it understandable to the task they had to do. We had tremendous. We had a lot more interest in what we were doing, and. That group that was initially a little unsure dedicated resources to helping make this project happen. And so mm. I think that understanding that it's not just a technological issue, that it's a cultural issue, and understanding how you can help lots of different functions is really, really critical to getting buy-in at companies. Yeah, I believe it. Well, folks, we'll pick that up after the break. It's a great segue to bring Richard Kirby back into the conversation. We'll talk to you in two minutes. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to DM Radio. Ask yourself, if you built a van for your business, where would you start? At the beginning, of course, with the people who invented the work van over 100 years ago, Mercedes-Benz. You'd give your new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter advanced technology and safety to keep you connected and protected. You'd make it available in diesel and gas, and there would be thousands of configurations and upfits to choose from. 
You build it right here in the USA because your one-of-a-kind business deserves nothing less than a van that's built for you. Introducing the all-new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, the safest, most innovative Sprinter yet, starting at just 33790 Built for you, the all-new Sprinter, built in the USA. Mercedes-Benz, vans, born to run. MSRP excludes all options, taxes, title, registration, transportation, charge, and dealer prep fee. Options, model availability, and actual dealer price may vary. See dealer for details about costs and terms. Equipment described as optional. 2019 Mercedes-Benz Printer available soon. A new year brings new opportunity. Seize it with Quantum Nutrition Lab's three key players for weight management. Promote physical performance and muscle energy with creatine monohydrate. Stimulate fat metabolism with green tea extract. Subdue hunger signals and boost protein intake with our vegan plant protein powder. Buy two bottles, get the third one free. Call 888-588-7578. That's 888-588-7578. Or visit us online at qnlabs.com. That's qnlabs.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Marshall, PhD, host of Healthline. Tune in to get your questions answered and hear the latest breakthrough information for you and your family. Our product line, Quantum Nutrition Labs, delivers what others only promise, nutrition that really works. This is Dr. Mitch Gibson from The Mitch and Kathy Show. Have you ever wondered why you can't talk to people about certain things? Every day we go through life holding back on what we really want to talk about. Yes, there's a lot of talk shows that give you a chance to air your opinions about politics, race relations, and a host of other topics that you're supposed to be thinking about. Well, what about those other areas that you hold back on, such as that ghost you saw when you were a kid, those times when you travel outside your body, that UFO you can't talk about that you saw in your backyard? Those strange people that appear and disappear around you, and you know you're not crazy. On the Mitch and Kathy Show, we give you a chance to talk about stuff like that, things that you hide from the world. In this way, we consider ourselves a guilty pleasure. Visit themitchandkathyshow.com for more information, or go to gabradionetwork.com. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio talking all about data science platforms. That's kind of where we segue to and the importance of having policies, sound policies, policies that get enforced. And I got to tell you, more and more and more, and Richard Kirby, I'll bring you back in. I was just musing with you last week, in fact, about how the future of governance is going to involve machine-readable laws because there's just too much going on out there. You think, Look at the backlog, just as a kind of a segue, an odd segue here, but look at the backlog in so many municipalities around the country with jurisprudence with people who got busted with you know, maybe marijuana or something, and just so many cases that they have to get through. Well, what happens? What The end result at the end of the day is that you wind up with a very uneven application of the law. And so I think what's going to happen is you're going to have to have these policies that are machine-readable and machine-writable in a way, meaning you have to change the policy. <clears throat> That's the direction I see things going, but what do you think, Richard? 
Well, I agree with you, but I mean, if, if you look at the the way that the law is set up right now, it's it's a disadvantage to the uh, to the poor in general because they they're just being basically railroaded. I, mean, I won't use the word railroad, but I use the word railroad anyway. It's in the sense that you have to do a plea bargain just to get off the the, the docket so you can get out as soon as possible. But imagine if all these guys decided, you know what, I'm not taking a plea bargain. Let's go to court. It'll be the biggest mess that ever will exist in the legal system because there's not enough judges and lawyers around to do all this kind of stuff. So they just push these guys through the system. But going back to the culture of, of the uh, of the data, I think the U.K. is a good example. U.K. used to be tied to eight or ten major uh, companies, and they broke that mold. And now they have almost 2,000 companies all over the, U- the U.K. itself. Before it was just London-based. So now you can go to Glasgow, anywhere in Ireland, Wales, or whatever, and get these new uh, high highly effective companies out there that can more agile than everyone else. And that's a big issue for us. When I look at the developed countries, they are so tied into the IBM, the Microsofts around there, because for them, if it fails, they've got a cover. It's not, I didn't fail. I picked Microsoft. I picked one of the best companies out there, and it still failed. So that's kind of where we look at today, is that how do we ensure that these guys are getting the best bang for their buck and not just relying on, 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 the, on the usual suspects, as we say, to get things going? And I think, uh, and our two gentlemen here, uh, they've got a tough uh, hill to climb in developing countries because that trust factor isn't there. I don't know your company, therefore I'm going to rely on the usual suspect to get me going. And if I fail, then I've got a, a ready-made excuse. I picked the best company, theoretically, and it still didn't work. So to me, that's the big issue is getting government, uh, getting, sorry, getting government uh, to be able to trust the middle and high-level companies that are coming up today, and I just stick to the big legacy system. Yeah, well, that's got to be music to the ears of our guests. Rohit, I'll throw it over to you again quickly. Maybe um, just offer some some perspective and some advice for the organization out there that, that listens to this show and that realizes they need to get very serious about policy management, about discovery. What are what are some first steps? What are, or what are some ways that they can maybe get the attention of their board and, and get someone to pull the trigger on a project? Sure, Eric. So, as I think I said in the beginning, data, you all would agree that data is our one of the biggest growing assets. And we need to ensure, we have actually responsibility to stop the Cambridge Analyticas of the world and those kind of use cases. So we have as an ecosystem, responsibility towards our our end users uh, to ensure that the data stays as an asset and does not become a liability. And one of the ways to do that, and, and the most um, trusted way, would be to have a proper governance and have the right policies, uh, which are pretty lightweight. At the same time, they're robust. And if we do not manage our data, the users, uh, the revenue, are actually going to jump. And that's not what we want as business owners. We want the users to feel, to, to trust us that we are managing their data well, we are governing their data well. Uh, we want the users to stay loyal to the brand. And that's what I would say to the, to the organizations out there, for them to go back to the boards and management, the only way to do that and one of the most important ways to do it is by having a proper automated data governance, and that's through the right data discovery, figuring out where your data assets are and then implement a self-governing uh, 
a policy framework which is lightweight and folks would embrace it as opposed to pushing it top down. Uh, that's what the key to the success is and to for the organizations to stay compliant from regulation perspective too. Yeah, and I'll throw it over to you, Dan, for some comments. You know, I really like that you focus on the importance of workflow, right, and really abstracting out what those workflows look like because that's going to help you identify the real serious choke points where work isn't getting done because people are waiting for something or because there's a conflict or whatever the case may be. But actually mapping out those diagrams, those flow charts, that's very valuable in terms of being able to understand what you can tackle, what you should tackle first, what you should prioritize, and how you should do all that stuff, right? Can you talk about the importance of understanding the workflow of the organization itself? Absolutely, and yeah, that, that goes up to the heart of the point that I was bringing up earlier about our work with that MNC, is tr making sure, and that's really central to our approach to the meeting, which is why, you know, ironically, we have lawyers on staff because that is that is one of our key constituencies in all of this to make sure that we have ethical and compliant data science to understand those workflows through that user research to understand how what we're doing fits into the pain points and other aspects that they're dealing with. And I'd love to just take a little bit of a step back. I love this point about trust, and that's that's also really near and dear to what we do at Amuda and why I bring up this point about ethics. Um, ethics, obviously, very vague word, but at the core of ethics is this idea that the company is looking out for the public public's interest. You don't have to keep, you know, enacting new GDPRs, new data regulations to make the company um, to make the company do what you want. How do we generate a way for companies to have the culture and make it cheap for them to be more ethical? And that is really the core of what we're trying to do at Amuda. And if I could kind of go a little bit more into some of the four steps. As I mentioned, the first is to understand the data that you have. And I think that's what my colleague's uh, platform helps with, is to discover data, to tag data. Um, and also, um, on our platform, we create a way, it's a self-service data platform, to see all of your connected data from one place. The second is to be able to control all of that data in real time. And I believe that the public will trust companies more when they believe that they can actually control the data in the way that they were meant to. Uh, again, reducing coordination between IT, empowering governance uh, officers at your company to write policies without code. And one of the key ways to do that is to create global policies that protect data by default. So for instance, make sure that all personal data in your company by default is masked, hashed, aggregated, so that even if some person, third-party um, hacker or malicious insider, you know, un in an unauthorized way accesses the everyday account, all they're going to see is hashing. The third is monitoring. I kind of went into this. This is a huge, huge um, issue for a lot of companies right now. And as the the EU survey uh, revealed it's one of the key pain points for a lot of companies. And one last thing I want to say about public trust is this point about benefit. We can't forget that benefit, making sure that this, this data that we're generating is still beneficial for people and that we're balancing utility from data as well as privacy protecting uh, tools. And one example is differential privacy. 
differential privacy is a privacy enhancing technology technology used by companies like Apple to make sure that you add noise to queries while still preserving meaning. So one example is if you have a differential private average, you only see the average income, you only see an aggregate statistic, and there's a little bit of noise added, which is much better than blocking entire access entirely, which is what happens in a lot of companies, but still allows you to gain some meaning and analytics from private data, which allows you to balance um, that, that, that sort of dilemma between analytics uh, and utility and safety. And so with these four principles in mind, we believe that we can start generating and make it cheaper for companies to act on the public's interest, to act in a more ethical manner, and to respond really quickly um, to changing data regulations, to the changing environment with something like a policy engine where a data governor can you know, change a data policy without writing code by removing that back and forth. And with that agility, with that data agility, your company can be one step ahead of your competitors. We're still trying to understand and coordinate meetings and figure things out to act in a compliant manner. Whereas you've thought about the ethical principles, you have tools that allow you to respond in a really quick manner and put you one step ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. No, that's an excellent point, and I'm glad you brought ethics back into the conversation. I'm actually looking at the editorial calendar for the rest of this year, and we have to dive into ethics, and I want to bring some of you guys back to to talk about that, because and we're yeah we're near the end of the show here, folks. But we've been talking to Dan Wu from Emuda, Rohit Mahajan from IO Tahoe, and my good buddy Richard Kirby, who's a consultant these days, consulting and working with countries all around the world to help them tackle these problems. The reason you keep hearing about ethics, the reason that that refrain keeps coming into conversations is because we are on the precipice of a whole new age, a whole new way of doing business. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, it, it's that significant, but I promise you it is. Cambridge Analytica is just a, a straw in the wind. We need to be careful about these things. The time for designing new policies is now. We hope you will join us as we talk about that on DM Radio. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to DM Radio. Looking for a new place to eat? Delicious food at a great value? The Tri-City Center in Redlands is proud to announce the grand opening of a fine new dining establishment. Terry's Diner, at the former location of the Spunky Steer in Redlands, is officially open for business daily from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. with delicious mouth-watering breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Treat yourself to... KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.1.